0: Welcome to season three of the Retail Tea Break podcast. My name is Melissa Moore, the Retail Advisor, and each week I'll be joined by industry experts, retailers, and product creators to decode the myths, share knowledge, and give you an insight into the industry. So grab your cup of tea, sit back, relax, and listen in to season three of the Retail Tea Break podcast. Today, I'm joined by someone whose vast knowledge of and experience within global retail is, quite frankly, mind-blowing. Based in Paris, he runs his own international retail advisory firm, providing services to luxury and premium brands, as well as shopping centre owners and high street landlords. His advice is both strategic and implementational, given his profound knowledge of global brands. And on top of all this... He's a published author, a lecturer and executive coach. Chris Igwe from Chris Igwe International. Welcome to the Retail Tea Break podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Melissa, for this invitation and this opportunity to share. I do really appreciate it. Uh, you have a love for the industry and I do as well and a love for people. And that's the most important part. So I'm very honored to be on your podcast. Thank you.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And I'm so excited, as you can tell, about this episode. I, I seem to have gone down a path of shopping centers, certainly from a training perspective over the last year. So I'm fascinated to pick a brain of someone like you who's been so focused on this industry and so embedded in growing it and developing it. But look, before we kick off, in the age old fashion of the podcast, um In about the time it takes to boil a kettle, which I'm told is about two minutes, tell us a little bit more about you and about the business.
1: (laughs) Well, two minutes, that is pressure. (laughs) Um, But very briefly then, born and raised in Nigeria and then moved to the UK, England in particular. So moved to England, lived in Switzerland twice, Geneva, Basel, lived in Scotland where I met my wife Lived in France twice now and lived in the Netherlands. So that's my geographical move. Then again, I didn't start out in this industry, which a lot of people actually don't know. I spent my first 10 years as a civil engineer because I qualified at Newcastle University and then I went on to do a master's at Heriot-Watt University in Scotland. So I did the first 10 years of my career. Um, My two main projects, uh, iconic are Stansted Airport, that entire facade and structure, and more significantly, the MI6 building in James Bond, which we didn't know was going to be the MI6 building. So when my team in Basel designed and installed that, it was the green facade and the precast concrete that you see that gets blown up in a couple of the movies and whatever. So that's my claim to fame. And I guess I got to the top of the mountain, to be honest, Melissa, at that point, and I thought, what else can I do next? Um, tough projects, tough clients and retail. I got a call from a headhunter. Long story short, Footlocker were hiring. It wasn't about real estate at the time, to be honest. It was about construction and design, which clearly was the link to my background. Mm. And then built on that. And um, in fact, they offered me the position of head of real estate, construction, design and maintenance. They just threw the whole book at me and said, you deal with it kind of thing. So eight countries, 220 stores. And um, it was repositioning the brand at that time. And I guess I did an okay job because Gap hired me after that. And then I went on and was head of ICSC in Europe, the International Council of Shopping Centers, then on to CBRE for eight years. Um, In between that, I had my own consultancy and then decided um, I'm done with big corporates and I will focus on my own independent business, which is what I do today, as you mentioned before. So I'm an advisor, free flow and do the different things that you highlighted earlier on.
0: That's amazing and look I think it's incredible to have someone like you with your background marry your knowledge with the retail industry so we are we are very lucky to have you I have to say. So many retail brands then I suppose over the last few years and I'm sure you've seen this happen throughout your career. A lot of brands are dying away, the pandemic obviously has had a huge impact on the industry and even on your specific knowledge within the shopping center and I'm going to use that term quite loosely as we go through this chat do you think that the standard shopping center that kind of destination place that we would drive to do you think it's a thing of the past
1: Hmm. I think there's two important parts that you've highlighted there Melissa in your question one is the retailers themselves the Mm -hmm. tenants let's call them that for a minute because obviously it's retailers and brands pop-ups and everybody else in between the main challenge which was pre-pandemic anyway, because I remember back in 2018, I was on an international platform and I, I did say that I believed, this was like 2017, 2018, that at least 25 to 30% of the number of stores that retailers had in their portfolio would have to go. We were just over retailed already. Yeah.
0: So pandemic had
1: nothing to do with it specifically, it just imp- accelerated the processes. you know but the main thing was that retailers and brands in particular so i'm talking premium and luxury Mm. hadn't really identified what their format should look like going forward compared to where they were so they were still like we will build it and they will come which is very much what the shopping center industry was doing as well i use that to say that retailers had their challenges they didn't deal with them and they got hit you know with the full force of the pandemic they have had to reassess. And there's a whole different story around that, which we don't have time to develop. But to answer your question about the destination, I'm glad that you said, because people do get confused about destination being these big mega centers that we know about, you know, the 1 million square feet and above type of thing. But destination centers can be your local center. I have one not too far away from us, which has one of the two most successful carfours in the in, the, in France, for example, and yet few people know about it. So, But it's a destination because that is what people in the area are looking at and are going for. So the key thing I think is creating and understanding what a destination should be for your local consumer and community. And there is one shopping center owner here in France, I will name them, nothing secret about it, called Merci Alice. Again, not many people know about, but Merci Alice, they're very happy not to have these big dominant centers. They're more about, we have a center, we know our catchment area, which is between 15, 20 uh, minutes or whatever. And people come twice a week, on the one hand during the week to do their general shopping and then the weekend to do their um, supermarket or hypermarket shopping, for example. I think that's a good example of what is it that you want to create that will attract and bring your consumer back that is not flamboyant. One thing they're very clear on, they have very few, if any, that is premium or aspirational brands because that's not what their consumer is looking for. You can go to another center that has that. So we need to understand what destination means and then provide destination for the community that it serves. And if you can do that, then you've, you've, you've cracked the code, as it were.
0: Serving the community, it again, it's about back to basics, and it really is so simple. As you say, you know, it's not about building it and they will come. It seems very kind of flamboyant, to use one of your words, to just just be so naive that you can throw all this money at a, a shop, a literal bricks and mortar shop, and people will come. But actually, if you understand what the community around where you've put up your store needs of course, they're going to come. So I love that simplicity. And with retail, so often, it seems like we've forgotten the basics, or certainly the brands that are getting it wrong, have just forgotten their basics. And I love the way you're laughing there, because I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen this happen a lot.
1: (laughs) I've seen it happen a lot. I mean, you know, from big centers, because as you say, I've I've advised and I still advise retailers and brands, um, not so much on the expansion side, although I do have clients that are expanding. But back in the day, um, some of my clients, well-known, the likes of Esprit, the likes of Game. You know, we were looking at 20, 30 stores a, a year. So we were really pumping it out in different markets. And so I visited centers that are real dogs that, you know, I could never put my clients in there. Um, and then those were absolutely amazing. So I've, I've seen throughout the world, I've been grateful enough to travel a great deal and see. And I, I, I'm passionate, as you know, about this. So, for example, 30th wedding, wedding anniversary, took my wife to Dubai. Great idea. She accepted. We came along. But then, you know, after day one, I was just lost at the Dubai Mall, literally lost. In, and she said, this is not what I signed up for. She went back to the hotel. She said, that's it. I'm done. I, I can't do this with you. So um, that's how uh, intense I am about learning about the industry and knowing. So, yeah, there are those who survive. And I don't mean owners and landlords, but I mean retailers and brands, because it's a real partnership. And I think that's what people have forgotten. The pandemic has created much more of an adversarial relationship between tenants and owners. And we've forgotten the fact that we have to build something which is for the community, for you and I, for our families, our children and everything else. Whereas there's this cleavage between the two, which is a global thing, but has improved, I have to say, as people have found ways to to get over it.
0: What do you think the future of of the shopping center? And again, I'm going to use this term really loosely. loosely, um, What's the future of the shopping center like? in So how does it fit in an ideal world into the community? Or how does the consumer use the shopping center?
1: Hmm. I think this is a really important question to be asking. And um, one of my favorite, I like the fact that you talk about shopping center in the broadest sense, because let us go back to, the marketplace, Mm. the marketplace, which has no walls. um, You have passionate people who are selling their wares, what they've built, what they've created, what what they've cultivated, or what they've cooked, as the case may be. And everybody, there's kind of this energy that is there. And I think if, if we can find a way of recreating that energy, I know it's not simple. But if we can recreate that, that will make a big difference. But one of the key examples that I always like referring to as the Grand Bazaar in Istanbul because the Grand Bazaar, apart from being this open space and environment, obviously within one roof, the the tenants, if you want to call them that, I was thinking of a different word, but they're all, they're kind of interacting. Um, Now, over the years, it's become a lot more invasive, as it were. So when you're walking down, you kind of get accosted, um, you don't always want to buy, but They've the style, basically. I think is theirs. The fact that they are they love what they do. So they are they are retailers. They are um, I think of the French word commerçant. They are they are um they have their own business uh, within the the environment. But they they love what they do so much. They want to communicate that passion to you. And if there's a way in which we can communicate, I know we can't take the bricks and you know the walls down. So let's not get carried away. But if we can somehow marry the market experience, the Istanbul Grand Bazaar and other markets and bazaars like that around the world with the physical environment of a shopping center, then we're onto something. I don't know what the solution is that simply, but I would give you one example which I think um, goes towards that, which is the likes of what Inter-I- um, inter-Ikea, going back to their old name, Inca Centres yeah. um, are doing with the creation of community, this interaction. I haven't seen what they've done in, in Hammersmith yet, but I've heard about it, which it's is which very interesting. Yeah.
0: Absolutely.
1: So, so I think that is an is a model to be looked at. And I know they're not stopping and saying, we've figured it out. Mm. They're looking to find ways to improve on that. But what they're doing is putting the community you and I at the center saying, what do we need? What is growing businesses, startups? What do they need and where are they going? And because they're using that model, whether it's in China or what they're doing in San Francisco or Toronto or wherever, I think that is a way forward and we all need to start looking at that. So the shopping center itself as a physical bricks and mortar. It isn't dead, but it too has to reassess itself. And I'll give you one final example, if I may, Um, here in Paris. There is a shopping center um, in the Paris region, which is not has not performed as well as it should since it was built about 12, 15 years ago, maybe. They've decided, the owners, that they're, they're going to take out the traditional retail, which are basically fashion and accessories and so on. And they're building or they're going to be including not only immersive experience, but they're also gonna be including more leisure and, um, and restaurants and so on. So repositioning the thing entirely, which is a brave move. You, know, you don't sort of take um, all the furniture out mm-hmm. and start redoing things, which is what they've done. But I think that's what the industry needs is that this bravery that we used to have of many people I've had the privilege of working with and knowing over the, the decades I've been in the industry where they have been incredibly pioneering, real risk takers, And saying, there's a different way of doing this. So those are just my my thoughts.
0: And I I absolutely agree with you there. And it's funny, it's that marriage, as you were saying, of the leisure, of the community activities. It's bringing the excitement back. But also, I'd never thought of it like the Grand Bazaar idea, that actually there's some real warmth and excitement about going down these little paths with lots of little shops on the side. And you kind of don't know what you're going to get. And by the sounds of it, this new version, whether you look to Ikea and smith and it's a fascinating look at what they've done there, you kind of don't know what you're going to get. And maybe that's what we need. We, we're very set. And whether it's here in, in the UK or Ireland in, in kind of shopping centres, and again, like, I use the inverted commas, they're very boring at the Mm. moment so this excitement or bringing the community inside them definitely feels like a place I'd want to hang out and surely if there's more people like me out there we're going to spend it's going to work it's going to be a place where people want to hang out.
1: Mm. It is and I think the other maybe simplest or easiest win to be honest would be the idea of pop-ups or short-term tenancies which I know thankfully have finally started to kick in because you know I've been going on about this for don't know 20 odd years um and people are saying no 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 we don't want short-term tenants because you know it impacts valuations of shopping Mm. centers and my building in the high street and whatever but there was no i want to test this but now as you know very well owners are looking very much at whether they're physical in the high street or within shopping centers saying let's look at the pop-up or short-term tenancy options and see how we can integrate that to create that point that you've just raised which is the discovery sort of thing because when you have a pop-up whether it's a weekend a month or a year and even within a year you can still have or encourage that tenant or that concept to re to evolve or or, um, enable their product merchandise whatever service they're offering to improve over time so different colors so you never know quite what you're going to find and inevitably the idea is if you don't come now you're gonna miss out on whatever it is. So that sort of expectation. And I think that's how you can create a lot of that dynamism or that movement once again, within the industry or within the environment.
0: Do you think then that going forward, is there a better way to put all these brands, these retailers together under one roof in that respect?
1: I think it's gonna be very hard to find a new model, if you like, because we still have the owners and investors have their own criteria mm. for success, which is obviously financial as much as anything else. And I don't think you can take that away. So you know everybody's got shareholders. there's always um, somebody who from an investment model says that is not going to work. As you know, the big issue has always been turnover rents, which is a model, yes, used in the outlets, but there are very specific aspects. so you can't just compare one with the other but the owners will always have to find a means for the return on the investment. The idea simply that we as consumers enjoy the center and therefore we keep coming back, mm. isn't enough for them to say, yeah, that works. What's the model of the future? I I don't know that there is one necessarily, but I think if we we have to combine the digital piece with the physical, and if there is a way of marrying those two together in a way which is exciting generationally as well, for example, you know we know that obviously the younger generation is much more familiar, um, whether they're digital natives or whether they've learned it as time has gone by with these new platforms of, of TikTok in particular, um, and Instagram, is there a way to combine both of those so that you get a digital experience before you go to the center And then, whilst you're in the center, and of course, once you've gone home, you're not forgotten and you come, you know, you get invited back through different marketing strategies. So, I think there's a creative piece that needs to be looked at for that to work. But for the physical on its own, the stores in the shopping centers, I don't think that is a long term easy model to achieve because going back to your very first questions, retailers who are not succeeding. let's face it there are some really good well-known brands who are closing up Mm. centers closing up markets you know we could spend you know the next half hour reeling off names between you and i names you didn't expect to go away or to close because they have financial constraints and they're not meeting them anymore in different ways so i think there's a real reset that needs to be done overall in the industry. And we're not even going to go down the rent conversation because uh, that's, that's that's a big one.
0: It is, and I'm sure actually that's probably a conversation even over the next few months as inflation continues to soar as that R word, the recession kind of almost kicks in across Europe and we see what happens. But on a slightly, and actually I don't know if it is a more positive note, you've mentioned the digital there. How on earth are physical stores, destination centers, how should they be competing? Or have you got any good examples of maybe, as you said, the marrying of the two, this blended good use of digital and physical?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, let's, let's stick, stick with basics as it were, the Apple store, although we've moved on and we don't really think of the Apple store anymore in the same way as we did, but let's face it, Apple is digital. So when you go into the store, and the more and more stores, I saw their their store in in Los Angeles, which I have to say is just one of the most beautiful stores in the world. They took a theater, and they remodeled it. And honestly, I I was just sitting there in in, in awe. Uh, But that is, yes, they've got the cash, let's be honest. But there are others that can do it at a smaller scale, where you sort of go, wow, I didn't know that brand could could redo that. the other day um i i was at um, a couple of days ago at, at footlocker on the champs elysees because they've just opened a, a new store i've never seen a footlocker store like that and between the design the merchandising the images um as well as that to your point the connection. so sign up for this membership or this connection or you know get more in, so they're they're creating that combination of digital and physical to have a consumer that is going to remain engaged with them in different ways and obviously we know that adidas do it and nike through their they running you know run the cities or run the world or whatever so i'm saying that if we take let's not reinvent the wheel let's improve on what we've already created because you know the car has been already created you know the turn of the century how can you improve on the vehicle that you're driving and therefore the digital platforms have to be they can't just be separate from the physical. Whatever happens, which is why I use Apple as a good example, because we've all been there. We're, you know, in many ways, Apple users. I don't mm. use Apple, by the way. I'm Samsung. I know I'm one of the so few. So on- am I.
0: <laughs> Yay,
1: <high five. laughs> We're one of the few on the planet, but hey, yes. what can I say?
0: <laughs> but the stores are amazing. Like they are, they're amazing. And I love the way I'm getting this idea. It's enhancement. We need to stop kind of fighting digital and physical but actually to enhance it. And as you say, Apple stores are gorgeous. You know, I'm not an Apple user, but I've been in them. I've seen how kind of the touch and feel is there, but it's still seamless in that respect.
1: And that's the key. The fact that we don't want to be interrupted, whether we're highly experienced and we've had a long career in the industry like myself, there are things that I find incredibly irritating, which are in a sense you're tripped up by technology
0: Mm.
1: and for me there is no excuse for that absolutely no excuse there's no reason that should happen so we can talk about the customer journey from the moment i'm at home to the moment i go and pick up the product if i still want to be in a shopping center or whatever there should be absolutely no hiccups at all and when it doesn't work and i want to take it back to the store they should take it back i remember back in the day in gap for example you bought a pair of jeans in San Francisco. Maybe there was damage, maybe it didn't fit or whatever. You came back to Paris and you handed it back to them. There was no discussion. It wasn't like, oh, you bought it over there. You can't take, whereas I know other brands do that. Even at that stage, I won't cite who they are, but they would say, no, 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 you bought it there and we can't take it back because it'll impact our sales and all the rest of it. I don't care. I am a customer of your brand i want to be taken care of and if we can get back that's why it's the simplest of things let's not make let's not build mountains let's go back to the very simple things that as a human being i would just like to know yes i can take this product back not because i bought it online and therefore you you can't take it back physically i don't want to know to your point about seamless at the very beginning it's just it's it's one channel so when people talk about online offline this and that it's no there is one customer And there is one brand in front of me. I want to be treated 100 percent the same way online as I do physically. And that's where brands need to get to or retailers. It doesn't really matter.
0: That is so simple. And yet my heart almost wants to explode. If, If retailers or brands treated us as consumers and customers like that, they'd have us for life. Like it is so simple the way, the way you kind of talk about it, Chris, if only they listened and they got it and they understood that customer experience is as simple as that. It's just a shame that so many of them go off, as you say, fancy digital, fancy stores that don't work. And again, that's a whole other podcast episode that we could go into, but I love that. It's not even an ideal. It's just retail basics that you talk about.
1: Hmm. It is, and I, I'd add one other part to that, Melissa, which is one of my big soapboxes for a long time has also been the staff training, mm. because they are the window to the world. Maybe not necessarily online, but they still are. If they have these chat boxes and whatever, they're probably automated. But you know, you assume there's a man or Somewhat woman behind that. the scenes there. <laughs> but at least when you go into a store the way in which you are welcomed and treated. We already have a big enough challenge. Yes, the pandemic has contributed to that right now in the way in which um, individuals or younger people don't necessarily want to work in stores anymore, long hours and everything else. But if we could get to a point where the training is improved, the connection, how to talk, how to engage, how to listen. Um, The other day I was in in a store, um, a luxury brand, and well known so i won't cite them walked into the store the only point at which the person i was with and myself got a hello was the security staff at the door the rest of the time and yet and to make it worse somebody followed me around the store so well followed us so she was it's like am i going to steal anything if i want to buy something i will come and talk to you maybe had at the beginning had you said to me welcome to our store you know this is that this is the layout if you want anything let me know if there's one thing I absolutely hate, it is being followed around a store. Um it's just, it's just rude. So training is really important. And I think if we can raise the bar and I use the luxury deliberately because it doesn't matter whether you're a luxury or you're a retailer, your brand or retailer, it's a fundamental concept of how you meet, greet, share, engage, and invite the consumer or customer or visitor to come back. Because I may not shop, but I just, mm. just want to know if I'm going to shop again, I will come back there because he or she um, gave me great advice or were very supportive. So it's not about the sale. Yes, it is. But it's not about the sale. Ultimately, it's about how you engage with me. That leaves the impression that I need um, to come back.
0: So beautifully put. And I think I I would hope that I'm doing my little bit in my way to deliver that sort of training. Because again, this is just that extra layer that it's the basic necessity of a retail store a retail brand that they should be delivering that so you feel cared for that you feel that you do want to return and then actually maybe you will grace us with buying something next time so really beautifully put chris goodness we could chat all day and i have a <laughs> feeling we may well do but look final question um what's coming up for you and the business over the next few months any uh... secrets
1: <laughs> gosh um Business, it's business as usual, in the sense that I've got retail clients, some who I'm renegotiating their terms for them because I just like doing that. The landlords love me. So we go in and we we negotiate and whatever. So that's kind of fun. Um so helping them where they're expanding as well. So I've got clients who are expanding, clients who are renegotiating, Mm -hmm. and owners as well who with whom I'm working, but at a it's not so much personal because I think um, it's for all of us. Uh, firstly, I'm writing my own. You very kindly mentioned that I'm a, I'm an author. I'm actually a co-author on a book uh, which was on visionary and authentic leadership which is the part that I covered. And I've got a book that I'm writing that will come out um, at the end of this year is my objective. So it'll be a solo book, uh, which will be my first. So I'm looking forward to that going really well. I'm on track. Um, helping individuals create their own mentoring programs so Brilliant. i'm helping a group in poland who are create have created a mentoring mentorship and i'm their international ambassador i'm grateful for that so helping on the mentoring side doing coaching and supporting in that area and yeah essentially supporting anybody within within reason obviously because there's there's only so much i've got in terms of bandwidth but um yeah and also boosting my youtube channel on uh, on leadership uh leadership training programs that I've, that I've got, cause I'm going to do a, a masterclass in a couple of months time on. Oh,
0: amazing.
1: So yeah, kind
0: of kind of busy. Kind of, kind kind of, of busy. I, I love this. And so generous as well with your knowledge and your experience and your time. So I'll certainly keep an eye out um, for all these things and help boost those. And we'll definitely pop a link up to your YouTube channel as well. Um, but the Masterclass sounds incredible. So I'll, I'll definitely be keeping an eye out for that one. Chris, you've been so generous with your time. Uh, this has been an incredible conversation. And I think one that's going to spark a lot of, interest and also thought from a lot of listeners and watchers about maybe where they can do better, what they can think about, especially putting this customer first in everything that they're doing, but also as consumers to maybe look at where we're shopping or why we're shopping a little bit differently and maybe how that might change in the future. So Mm. if you have enjoyed today's podcast, please like, share and subscribe to the Retail Tea Break podcast. Um, I'm going to pop all Chris's details up in the show notes, but Chris, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure, Melissa. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me. And I've really enjoyed it. And um, like I say, anything that I can do to support you and and the others, then you've got my details now. You know where to connect with me. I'd be happy to to do that. Because if I could just leave, leave with one thing, I think what I've been pursuing, and I'd like others to do so through your work, which is fantastic, is take the conversation to a higher level we've got to have higher level thinking and higher level thinkers in the industry. And that's what I've been seeking to do. So when I do my mentoring, when I do my coaching, when I challenge people, when I do my posts, it's all about what can we do to improve and be better. So less of this competitive Absolutely. notion that we have, but more about the creation. I don't like the word collaboration as such, but creating something bigger and more uh, enjoyable for all of us, but also of course, for, for others that are going to follow. So. Lovely to be here and I really appreciate the invitation, Melissa. Thanks again.
0: Thanks, Chris. And everyone, see you next time.